the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 128 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Bonjour. And my husband Dylan's the sound recordist. I wish I knew more French. (laughs) Dylan and I were just talking today about how, um, you know, when you have a kid and you can't say things because they know what you're saying. Yep. Yep. I know. So, you know, you know, definitely Well, when you're around a kid and you spell things out instead of saying the word. I don't know about that. I was saying it would be nice if you spoke French and I could just tell you what to do in French. I'm sorry. I don't speak French. Well, God. Sacre bleu. It's a romance language. It's it's, it's right there. Um, How's everybody doing? How's everyone's fall? I'm doing fantastic. It's cold here. It like jumped to late fall temperatures real quick here in Woodstock. Here's the thing. Upstate New York don't play when it comes to seasons. It doesn't, but we usually get a little bit more of an off-ramp from summer. Like I'm already like, do I need to get the fire going? (laughs) Ah, son. Ooh, that's cool though. It's just barely spooky season. (laughs) Yeah. All right. I'll do the weather report for up here. Uh, I'm scared to say because I think this place is going to get really, really popular in the next couple of years. It's lovely here. It's between like 60 and 75 every single day. Starts Mm. off nice and cool and then the fog burns off in the afternoon and it's sunny. It's beautiful. Yeah, well, good luck when that fog starts containing monsters. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's, I forgot about that part. In Los Angeles, we've been getting weather alerts because it's been too hot. So, <laughs> Uh-oh. The spookiest part. My phone still thinks I'm in Los Angeles because occasionally I get some of those. And I'm like, oh. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> sad. Guys, I have a little bit of shame. Oh, fantastic. Wow. I was about to compliment you because you almost got back down to the number you started on on this podcast. Mm-hmm. 128. Uh-huh. I think you started at 125. Close. That's correct. Like three years ago? Yeah. And I was going to pretend to be upset with you, but really shames the lifeblood of this podcast. So (laughs) I'm happy you have it. Uh, We walked past the local little free library and got a good haul. Oh. Mistake. Speaking of, Toby, people love love the Toby reviews of street books. So we have to talk about that. So let's not talk about my shame and instead talk about Toby's street books. Nope. Yeah, name your shame first. Name your shame first. Don't try and distract. We picked up. I'm trying to deflect and blame Dylan. Um, I got Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid, Manhattan Beach by Jennifer Mm. Egan, Leave the World Behind by Ruman Alam, and I got a copy of Outlander because Andrew loved it so much. You also made me pick up the Manhattan Beach thing, so technically it qualifies my shame. I was also like, Dylan, don't you want this sequel to The Alienist? I have no interest in it. Wink, wink. (laughs) But I'm not counting that as one of my books. Yeah, that's a good haul. I um I really like uh, Manhattan Beach. Quite enjoyed that. Nice. Um, I will have to say, I love me some Taylor Jenkins Reid, but I thought Malibu Rising was a misstep. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I know. Come for me in the comments, pages. And I have no idea why you picked up Outlander, really. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> it was there. It was free. I don't know. This, this is where your behavior reveals itself as problematic. <laughs> like, not just the good ones, but the the ones that, you know, Andrew actively disliked. It's true. It's true. But Toby, tell us about your street books. Yes. Um, I was struck by inspiration uh, walking around Arcada, as I often am. But this inspiration had to do with this podcast. And there's a street book haul that I ran across. And so I decided to start a series on our Instagram. um, And it's going to be street book review. And uh, basically, I took a shot of the street books. And I looked them all up um, and reviewed them one by one. And kind of and then I gave like a overall rating to the street book. Because sometimes, you know, you see a haul and you're like, man, why did somebody throw these away? And other times you see a street book haul and you're like, I know why someone threw these away. (laughs) So are you reviewing them by like content and whether they're street worthy or not, or like the condition of the books too? No condition. I'm not going to bring into account because you know they're on the street. That if they're readable, then you're it's a score. It's really <laughs> just like basically, are they any good? Um, according to me. Uh, but yeah, I, I won't spoil. You know, if you haven't seen the first one, check it out. I definitely have an opinion on it. But I also wanted to say it's a fun series. I'm not going to be able, even with my skills at finding street books, I'm not going to be able to find enough to really do that many of them. So, Pedro's DM us your street book finds, and I would love to review them. Like, I would really, truly enjoy doing that because that's the kind of person I am, and that's the kind of that's the kind of problem I have. Bailey buys too many books. I love a street book, you know, find, yeah. even if it's uh, secondhand. Let Toby use the street smarts. <laughs> I found a box of street books the other day, Toby, and I almost took a picture for you, but then I peeked at them and it was right. like cookie recipes. 
And I was like, well, that's <gasps> yeah. not. Yeah. I walked by that same book. <laughs> I could have torn that freaking street book find apart. It was like that one and Fault in Our Stars and then like another like low carb cooking. <laughs> what what score would that be, Toby? <laughs> I see that's a middling score because it's a good, you know, it's a supposedly good book. I haven't read it yet, but I left out a very important part of the street book analysis, which is basically I also try and guess what kind of person left these books. Mm. So that's an interesting mix. Like we've got two cookbooks and one pop lit book, you know, so what a, what kind of person will put that out there? I'm not going to give you away a review for free. <laughs> that's behind the paywall. No, it's not. Uh, but anyway, yeah, send me your street book finds, people. Don't be like Bailey and Dylan. <laughs> The only other news I have is that it's very dark times because, and this will relate to my book when we get to my review, our daughter Maggie has decided that she no longer likes Mama. She only likes Dada. And oh, that happens. It's very hard. <laughs> There's been some pretty sick burns. Well, no, it's now that I found out if she wants to do anything, I just say it's like, hey, you know, if you put on socks right now, it'll make Mommy really sad. And she'll say, yes, and she'll do it. <laughs> Uh, is it really that bad? Yeah, no. And she'll wave bye-bye Whoa. in my face and say, da-da, da-da. Or she'll take my hand, walk me back to my work chair, sit me down in my chair, and then close the door on me. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty savage. If uh, PJ's, if you've ever experienced this, please tell me it ends at some point because it's pretty rough to s- have her... Be excited when the door opens, see my face, start sobbing and say, no, no, da, 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 So I hope it ends. I don't know. Contrary to my earlier comments, I actually did. My mom ran a preschool, which I'm sure I mentioned earlier on some other podcast episode. Uh, I've been around a lot of little kids. It passes. They switch allegiance back and forth, I yep. think, until they get the older. The tables have turned. So your day will come again. Yeah. And Dylan, honestly, I think you were the favorite for a while, Bailey. So, you know, yeah, exactly. Dylan no. have his time in the sun. So, there was a time where I just had to do everything that Bailey didn't want to do because I was like, look, she hates me already. I get it. <laughs> oh, and also speaking of Darkest Time, Bailey, uh, don't you have another piece of shame of a book you just finished? Well, it's not shame. It's it's something I'm very proud of. Are you proud of having read it, though? In your though? face, Dylan. Are you happy? Well, <laughs> um, <laughs> Dylan is referring to the book Devil House by John Darneal. Um, which I just finished on audiobook. Um, Toby, you've read this mm-hmm. one. I heard that you hated it with a thousand fires. No, I DNF'd it. Okay, well, similar. <laughs> so I, I obviously disliked it. <laughs> Toby set his his phone on fire rather than mm-hmm. finish the audiobook. <laughs> yeah. He threw his phone out onto the street. Well, for those of you who don't know, John Darneal is a, um, mostly known as a musician for the Mountain Goats. Uh, I'm trying to think of a Mountain Goat song. Sing a song. This year? This year. I'm going to make it through this year if it kills me. He'll turn two. Thank you. So um, he's a singer for the Mountain Goats. (laughs) Should we keep going? Thank you. (laughs) Andrew, how are you doing, by the way? (laughs) I'm alone. (laughs) I'm worried for someone who knows that many Mountain Goats songs off the top of his head. I'm alone in Woodstock with no car. (laughs) So I'm just in the woods. And two cats. I think that's actually a Mountain Goats song, too. (laughs) Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted. Anyway, he's a musician, but he's written a few books. Um, Wolf in White Van, I think, was up for National Book Award or some prize. That was his first book. But this is his third. Um, It's called Devil House. It's all fiction, but it follows a true crime writer who buys and moves into a house um, where murders took place during the 80s, part of this sort of satanic panic. And the idea is for him to, like, live in the house and figure out, you know, is this house malevolent or not? Wow, Bailey, what a fun genre read. Yeah, right? What a what a great concept uh-huh. for a book. End mm-hmm. of review. <laughs> no, um, it, it just has some twists and turns. There's a lot of digressions the book takes, I will say. Um, but I think Dylan is is looking at me like he wants me to really hate the book. But oh no no. But I I gave it four stars. No, I yeah. Oh. I, it, it's just such a weird book to discuss with people. Well, what I will say is that it sounds like a horror book, but it's not a horror book. It's it's yeah. if anything a true crime book. According to Toby, it's a horrible book. Putting words in my mouth. I like those words, though. It was a nice little play on words, so you can do that. It was interesting, though, because I was finishing the book last night because I had like a half an hour left to go. And Dylan was just in the other room, I think, waiting to hear my reaction to the ending. And that was kind of fun. We're going to get through this podcast if it kills us. Okay, no children. Up the wolves. Training montage. I thought of three more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I heard that Toby um, was a member at Andrew's wedding. Toby, did you read a book this week? Yeah, I did. Toby was also literally Dylan's best man. You could be that, actually. That'd be easier. <laughs> true. <laughs> oh, yeah, at my own so, wedding. Your wedding is more topical, though. <laughs> um, 
Yes, I did. I read The Member of the Wedding by Carson McCullers. It's a nice day for a... What does it mean to be the member of the wedding? Like, what does that what does that mean? Spoilers, I don't know. This book doesn't answer why it's so strangely titled. Okay. Um, and it's a strange title. Anyway, it's also a strange book. Ooh. Are you guys ready for a logline? Yeah. I'm so ready. Born ready. It would be too simple to say that Carson McCullers novel, The Member of the Wedding, is just a coming-of-age tale focused on a tomboyish girl in the late 1940s South. Instead, as the work unfolds, readers are treated to a world of complex emotions, deep sadness, and a surprisingly forward-thinking ideology about sexuality and identity, all within a story that never loses sight of Frankie herself, a girl whose perspective readers are not likely to forget. Mm. Toby, you love coming-of-age things. I, how dare you? I do like them. <laughs> So if you can't tell from that circuitous logline, uh, this book is complicated um, in what it's about. But what is not complicated is the plot. Frankie Adams, our main character, she's 12 years old. Uh, she's living in a kind of nowhere town in the South. Um, she has no friends and she is kind of, you know, on that classic coming of age age where she is flickering back and forth between an adult way of thinking and a child way of thinking. Right. Mm hmm. Her mother died giving birth to her, so it's just her and her father, except her father is just kind of out of the house. He's not really in her life at all. So the only people she ever really interacts with are Bernice, her family's black maid, and John Henry, her younger cousin. Uh, she is bored out of her skull, and one day her older brother comes home and announces he's going to get married in a couple weeks. Frankie latches onto this idea of the wedding, and... She eventually kind of crosses a line from being very interested into it to, it's kind of hard to say, but she becomes almost romantically obsessed with the wedding. Mm. It's hard to quantify, but that is the plot, such as it is. So like Bridezilla, but for the random <laughs> flower girl. <laughs> yeah. They adapted this into the Anne Hathaway movie Bride Wars, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh, I'm so glad you know the reference, Dawn. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> so, and uh, to kind of answer your question about the how she becomes obsessed with the wedding, I know if you've ever known a young person around this age or even younger, you kind of understand how they can become like totally, completely fixated on something to the point where it's all they think about, it's all they talk about, and they almost want to like inhabit that thing. Sometimes it's like a hobby or a subject, um, but in this case, it's, it's kind of unique. It's kind of strange. She becomes obsessed with the wedding. She's a very lonely girl, and she sees this kind of unique between her brother and his bride-to-be, and she wants connection more than anything else. And so she kind of decides that she is going to go away with them after the wedding. No one can convince her otherwise. She's like, we're going to go to the wedding. I'm going to have a great time. And then they're going to go on their honeymoon and take me with them. And we're all going to be together forever. Uh-oh. Uh -oh. So, yeah, exactly. You can already be like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, so I'm going to jump into my orcs and elves and kind of discuss the book that way, as I always do. I only have one orc, and I'm going to talk about him or her. Don't assume my orc's gender first, or them. His name's Garthok. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got it. His name is Garthok. Um, the orc is, this book is slow. Uh, as my grandma used to say, it is slower than molasses in January. Slow, 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 slow. That's my only orc, but it's enough to comment on because it kind of really held me back. It's not a very long book. I read it on Audible and it's only like six hours long. But for the first two hours, I was really struggling to get into it because it's just like glacial pace. When you're showing that the character is bored out of their skull, but then the reader yeah. becomes bored out of their skull too at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. Um, my elves are literally everything else. Um, oh. I... I'm going to fail to describe to you how beautiful this book is because it is beyond my powers of description, for sure. Um, but I'll try because this is a podcast. You can do it. <laughs> um, you can do it, Toby. First and foremost, there's Frankie herself. Um, and the amazing way that McCullers portrays her, you kind of find yourself pulled back into that psyche that you might have had when you are a child. Sometimes you feel very sweet and loving. Sometimes you're kind of cruel out of nowhere because you just like want things your own way. You have this impatience with growing up and also a kind of fear of growing up and and you love her at turns and then the, at times you hate her because she can be a real nasty little brat. And so just to see this such a real character and to kind of inhabit her mind is a pleasure. Um, for example, I'm, this is my only quote I have, and I love it so much. There's a kind of humor that McCullers treats the whole book with. Uh, she's called Francis in this line. Uh, experiences a severe disappointment, and this is how she feels about it. Francis wanted the whole world to die. 
And I think that's perfectly indicative of just like throwing a fit when you're a little kid. You're just like, ah. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. Another amazing character is Bernice, um, the maid. It does bear saying that Bernice strays awfully close to the kind of magic black person trope that has rightfully been given a lot of shade in modern literature. Um, but it, I don't know. I don't think many people could read this book and say that McCullers is using her or making a caricature of her. She also feels like a completely real, very deep, very honestly sad character. I also mentioned um, an interesting note about sexuality in this book. There is a certain conversation that the three main characters have that's Frankie, John Henry, and Bernice, and they're kind of having this conversation on a boring afternoon about how they would change the world if they could. Uh, Bernice, in particular, says that she would kind of get rid of race and everyone would look exactly the same. But then Frankie and John Henry, who are little kids, they talk a lot about how they would like the world to be more like genderless or how they wish they could switch back and forth from being boys to girls as they willed. And I'm I'm not doing it justice. It is one of the many things that will absolutely shock you to read that this was published in like the late 40s and McCullers was writing it, you know, before that. So to have this kind of super duper open mind. And I think it's truthful. It's not like she's reaching for anything. I think a lot of kids, you know, when you ask them before they have whatever opinions foisted on them, a lot of kids have thinking like this with like, well, I'd like to be a girl like for a day or two, or I'd like to switch back and forth. I want to see what that's like. And then they kind of learn that maybe that's not possible or some people think that's not good. I think it's really amazing that McCullers wrote this so early in the century and that, you know, it was published and put out there. And I don't know, I think it's really insightful and forward thinking and really refreshing to read. I think that's really interesting, Toby. And like, I mean, because it's like, obviously, from the beginning of history, there were people that were probably gender fluid, but nobody had a word mm -hmm. for it. And maybe it was even harder in the 40s because there were such even more delineated gender roles, but it's not something that was talked oh, about. Oh, yeah. Read Camilla, baby. <laughs> um, another elf is that her overall language is just absolutely gorgeous. She has a gift for metaphor that is just so deft and will kind of leave you breathless from listening to it. And you just kind of want to replay the image over and over in your mind. Um, I think her style is a bit out of fashion these days. It definitely reads like it was published in the 40s. But you get into it and it's very comforting and very wonderful to kind of sink into once you get used to it. Um, she is at turns humorous, stylish, deep, and ultimately totally heartbreaking. And to be able to do all of those things in one fairly short book is nothing short of amazing. Wow. So many more things I could say about this book, but overall, I would just say it is a super complex, super emotional read. I will have to give it four out of five stars just because it was so, so slow in the beginning, like painfully slow. Um, but it really, it just picks up and up and up, especially as Frankie kind of convinces herself more and more that she wants to join this adult world and do this thing that every single reader is like, well, that's not going to work. And every character is telling her it's not going to work. So it is building to it like, you know, it's going to be some kind of sad climax, but it's, it's totally worth it. And so I give it four out of five. Excellent. Mm. Garthok's revenge to take away one star. <laughs> yeah, I know. He's a strong boy. He's got that star. Well, Andrew, I am dying to know more about Carson McCullers. Do you have any facts on her? Well, don't I. Carson McCullers was born Lula Carson Smith on February 19th, 1917 in Columbus, Georgia. She was named for her grandmother, who was also named Lula Carson. Her father was a jeweler and watchmaker, and she had two younger siblings who were named after their parents, Lamar and Marguerite Jr., respectively. That's very interesting because the father, the like absentee lame brain father in this book is a jeweler and watchmaker. Huh. Hmm. Uh -oh. Burn. Also, they have a lot of pizzazz on those names, too. Those are good names. While growing up, she trained extensively on the piano, and her father encouraged her writing as well. Uh, he bought her a typewriter when he, she was 15 and encouraged her to write stories. I'm not specifically sure why sources included this, but I think it's a fun detail. After graduating high school at 17, she left for New York City on a steamship. Ooh. That is a cool they detail. called out that she traveled by, by steamship. Wait, where did the steamship <laughs> go to New York City? From Georgia. Oh, like on... <laughs> Georgia's like, coastal. Like on, the, like on the outside. Okay. <laughs> I was thinking of the Mississippi yeah, I, I River. I assume it was on the Atlantic. <laughs> you mean the Atlantic. That's what we call yeah. the outside ocean. The outside ocean. <laughs> um... 
So the reason she went to New York is she was planning to attend Juilliard to continue her studies as a pianist. However, in a very Kimmy Schmidt-like moment, she lost all the money she was going to use to pay for school on the subway. Oh, no. Oh, wow. Wait, was she just carrying it in a sack? I didn't find more details. I'm sure it exists somewhere, that story, but... This is what I found, so I don't know what exactly happened. She pivoted, though, to her credit, uh, decided to stay in New York City, focused on writing and started taking night classes and working odd jobs. Uh, you know, your classics, just like today, she's a waitress and a dog walker. Yeah. I'm still getting over the fact that she lost her tuition and was like, well, there goes Juilliard. Like, <laughs> Or conspiracy theory she never wanted to be a pianist she claimed to have quote lost the money but oh look i'm in new york and can pursue my dream bailey is this the kind of podcast we are now yes conspiracy, conspiracy theories about carson the colors <laughs> also the moon is fake all right <laughs> um so she briefly returned home around this time after suffering rheumatic fever, um, where she recuperated for a while before returning to New York. When she came back, she continued pursuing writing and like formally gave up the idea that she was ever going to go to Juilliard or study pian- pianoing full time. <laughs> uh, piano, I guess, is probably what you say. Um, <laughs> uh, she continued night classes at Columbia and other places and published her first short story at 19, um, which was possibly appropriately titled Wunderkind. Ooh. Mm. It was semi-autobiographical and about like a young pianist struggles with growing up and whatnot. So it could be that she truly, like Bailey said, gave up on being a pianist a while back. Does this um, young pianist like fear the subway? <laughs> like, <laughs> avoid it at all costs? Well, it is Marcin Begullers, so I don't know the character's name, so I'm not sure. In 1937, when she was 20, McCullers married Reeves McCullers, uh, who was a former soldier and aspiring writer himself. Reeves had found employment, and they had like an arrangement where they would alternate like being the breadwinner and working to support each other's writing while the other like focused completely on writing. That was going to be that's the plan. That's so cool. Yeah, Reeves found the first full-time job, so that's why they went to North Carolina. However, McCullers was a bit of a wonderkind and hit the jackpot on her first attempt because at 22 she finished her first novel The Heart is a Lonely Hunter which was followed quickly by Reflections in a Golden Eye which she wrote in two months all of which were published by the time she was 24. They were published in 1940 and 1941 respectively and they were written when she was I think 22 and 23. Guys I'm telling you she had those books from years ago she went to New York had a whole plan. (laughs) She wrote The Heart is a Lonely Hunter when she was 22 isn't that like that's the only other one of hers I've read to imagine a 21 year old being that perceptive about like an entire town of people is completely insane. And there you go. McCullers ain't <laughs> killing it. Um, uh, so she continued to work consistently despite sort of ever growing health problems. She wrote plays, poems, and more novels, notably The Member of the Wedding in 1945. Carson and Reeves actually briefly divorced in 1941 before remarrying in 1945. And this is where we'll get in a little bit to McCullers' fluid sexuality. Um, during their separation, Reeves had a relationship with David Diamond, who's a composer. So he had a same-sex relationship. He moved to Rochester and lived with with Diamond for a while. And then McCullers pursued a number of relationships with both men and women, but primarily women at this time. Her sexuality is widely speculated about and like it's, we're not going to nail it down and that's not really our job to do. She never had a public relationship with a woman but dedicated Reflections in a Golden Eye to a woman named Anne-Marie Schwarzenbach who's a Swiss woman from that like sort of cabaret era Berlin who like really celebrated androgyny um, and she was a bit obsessed with her. She wrote in one of her uh, autobiographies that they had shared one kiss but it seemed like it didn't go farther than that. Oh man. Netflix, get on it. I want to see the romance. <laughs> and all this is sort of uh, underlined by the fact that she sort of presented kind of tomboyishly. She wore men's shirts. So people sort of assumed this of her. And it, it does seem that she was definitely interested in women and probably was identifying as a lesbian, but, you know, still was married to a man and maintained that relationship with him uh, until his death. During their separation also, she spent time in the Brooklyn art commune known as the February House, uh, which was uh, hosted a number of famous writers, and she was friends with Tennessee Williams, W.H. Auden, Benjamin Britten, Gypsy Rose Lee, and Truman Capote. Wow. 
After remarrying Reeves, who himself had re-enlisted in the army and was actually wounded at D-Day, um, they occupied a literary celebrity couple status, a la Zelda Fitzgerald and F. Scott, and lived uh, like a lot of people did after World War II in, uh, in Paris with a lot of the you know lost generation folks. Now, this is a little bit sort of squidgy and a little dark, so apologies if this is a little dark, Pejos, but um, Reeves died by suicide in 1953. Apparently, he was expecting this to be like a suicide pack with McCullough though she did not follow through. Oh. I don't know if that's the right, like sensitive way of explaining it, but he passed away in 1953 yeah. by, by suicide and McCullers, who lived with depression and attempted suicide at least once in her life, was left alone. Mm. And so this is sort of the end of my facts. McCullers would live until 1967, though her health rapidly declined and so did sort of her output. Um, she was an excessive drinker and smoker and as a result of her childhood rheumatic fevers, suffered from strokes and ill health from like a very early age. In her final year, she attempted to dictate an autobiography, but died before its completion. And she passed away on September 29th, 1967 at her home in Nyack, New York, which is about an hour south of where I am. Coincidence? Yes. <laughs> so in total she published four novels along with many stories plays and poems her work has been adapted notably as a, to a play version of the member of the wedding which was quite successful on broadway and film versions of heart is a lonely hunter starring alan arkin and reflections in a golden eye starring marlon brando and elizabeth taylor her home in nyack is on the national registry of historic places and her childhood home and a lot of her effects are owned and curated by columbus state university in georgia very cool yeah yeah um, I will add, um, if you're interested in reading Carson McCullers, I think The Heart is a Lonely Hunter is a generally a more accessible book because it is less boring <laughs> at the beginning. I think more people like that one better. I like this one better, but I think, a, you know, just a piece of advice. Thank you, Toby, for your advice. Yeah, you're welcome. Nobody thanks me for my advice anymore. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for your advice, Toby. Andrew, thank you for those facts, which were very well researched and interesting. So that's The Member of the Wedding by Carson McCullers, four stars. So, wait, we're done. I'll show myself out. Oh! Just kidding, Bailey, did you read oh. a book? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did read a book, and strangely enough, it's called I'll Show Myself Out. What a coincidence. Coincidence? Yes. <laughs> yeah, by Jesse Klein. No way. You guys have heard of it? This book, I was very excited to get. It is one of the newest books on my shelf because I got it, I think, for my birthday for myself. Um, yeah, and you haven't got any new books since your birthday. Yeah, definitely not. Certainly not. Don't listen to the beginning of this podcast. Oh, wait, you probably already have. <laughs> so um, Jesse Klein is the author. She is known as a comedy writer. Um, she wrote for well, I don't want to spoil Andrew's facts, but she wrote for some shows. I'm about to step on my hours of sensitive research. <laughs> I won't say what shows she wrote for because that would be a spoiler, but let's just say it's she wrote- It's like the only facts I have. I know. <laughs> you don't want to have a big mouth. <laughs> oh. <laughs> she also is known for her first collection of comedic memoir essays, which is called You'll Grow Out of It. And it's more about like coming of age, which ties into one of the shows she wrote for. I'm not going to say which one, Big Mouth. Um, so this is her second book. It is called I'll Show Myself Out, Essays on Midlife and Motherhood. And it's primarily about Klein's experience having a son, Asher, and it goes from like her being pregnant to him being about six years old, but it's not chronological, but there's stories from within that time. She struggles with fertility issues, and so she doesn't have Asher until she's like 38. Okay, so I'll just go out and say it. No Gravnock here. Is that his name? What's the name of the orc? Garthok. Garthok. Oh, no Garthok, the blood hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, oh, he's got a job now. Okay, so I don't have any orcs. I'm sorry, Garthok. <gasps> Garthok would be maybe be like, that's okay. It's I'm happy for you that you read a good book. <laughs> he, he's a huge reader. Um, so mm -hmm. I'll, I'll just say that I really love this book. I think I am primed to love this book because I am right in it with her. Like I am around this age. I'm mm -hmm. experiencing a lot of the same things. She also literally is raising her child in Los Angeles during the pandemic, which is obviously something that I've gone through. So my experience of it might not be the same as, you know, any Pejos. So I'm just going to say I found it really relatable and I really loved it. And I'm just going to give reasons why I loved it. I'm just caught up still thinking about Garthok. He's like, <laughs> I, it pains me so much to have to take away stars. You have no idea. <laughs> it's my lot in life. I didn't want to work in HR, but here I am. 
So obviously, Jesse Klein is really funny, sharp, smart, and observant. And one of my favorite things about the book and about her writing in general is that she puts voice to things, odd thoughts that I thought I was the only one in the world to ever have, or these odd experiences that Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, yeah, I thought I was the only one, which I think is really satisfying when you're a mother reading it, because as she describes and relates to the title of the book, once you become a mother, you kind of lose your identity and you become mom. You show yourself out Mm. and then you just become mom. And so being able to think, oh, I'm not alone in this is really powerful. So I'll just open with a quote. This is on page two. This gives you a sense of her writing and also, you know, the world we're talking about. She says... It would be the same as all the other days I've been living since my son was born, since we moved to Los Angeles, and since I've been working part-time. Part-time at home, part-time occasionally in an office, part-time in an existential sense as a mother, and the smallest part of the time, feeling like myself. My days look and taste a lot like nothing, and yet they are there. They mostly feel the same, but around the edges, of course, they are different. It's intense. It's intense, but it's... It's like, yeah, exactly. I don't think I'm doing any of the many things I'm doing well. I can't even say this sentence right. The point is I've lost myself. (laughs) That's an example of her writing. That's an example of the smart ideas she has, the way she puts voice to these things. She also has such specifics that I'm like, yes, 100%, Jesse. For example, what clothes you can wear after you give birth and how it's really annoying when there's moms that are hot and wearing like espadrilles at the playground. And you're like, what are you doing? I'm in sweatpants. And it took a lot of effort to get here. Um, Going to baby (laughs) gyms and you're working out more than your child is working out. Um, Cleaning up endless messes. Um, (laughs) Guilt for having someone else take care of your child and like attempting to come home early from work to relieve the nanny, even though you've paid the nanny for the whole five hours, whatever. It's just Mm. all of these things. I'm like, yes, yes, Jesse. Yes, yes, yes. And she tells them in a funny way. Um, I'll give one more example of this. This is something I swear I thought I was the only one in the world that experienced. I even asked Dylan and he wasn't sure that he'd experienced it. So maybe it's just me and Jesse Klein. But she's talking about how she's been reading books before bed to her son every night, you know, and there are these picture books and she's going, going through them, through them. And then at some point she realizes that she's been reading and interacting with her son. And at the same time, she has no memory of anything that she's just read. And she's just been thinking about her own thoughts. So this is page 189. How had I bifurcated into two seemingly separate beings, one who was nurturing my son, reading, connecting, present, and earth mother, dare I say goddess, <laughs> and the other, a being you might call the, quote, real me, stewing and chewing on my own problems, mentally unmoored from the moment. My little boy was snuggled in my lap, completely unaware that we weren't sharing an experience so much as I, just like Teddy Ruxpin, was simply mimicking one. <laughs> so I really loved the way she presents these things. I think that if you are a mother, you're really going to love it. If you have mothers in your life or if you want to understand what it's like, um, you should pick it up. But I also really liked the theme of sort of reclaiming yourself. Um, Like she talks, for example, about, you know, how people buy necklaces with their child's name on them and how revolutionary it was when she decided, no, I want to get one with my name on it. And it's like, wow, because it seems like such like a selfish thing. But it's like, why? You're just reclaiming yourself. So I thought that was very interesting. And in some ways, like kind of like a self-help book without yeah. seeming at all like a self-help book. You're saying I should get a tattoo of a heart with my name in it? Yeah, do that. <laughs> uh, you should get a portrait of yourself on your chest. <laughs> I think you kind of already answered this, but like, I think you, in your description of it, I don't think it's like a doom and gloom book, right? Like she's, it, it sounds maybe lighter. Does it sound heavy to you guys? I don't know. I'm not phrasing this well. It's, do you know what I mean though? Yeah, it talks about heavy things. Like I think, you know, she's anxious and depressed, but it talks about it in mm-hmm. humorous way and a relatable way. Um, And one other thing I wanted to say about this book, which is crazy nutso, is the entire thing is told (laughs) under the conceit of we are following of being a mother is like going on a hero's journey from the hero with (gasps) from the hero with a thousand faces by Joseph Campbell, which is relevant because that's Andrew's book for next podcast that he's already finished. Yeah, I love it. I've started it. I have (laughs) thoughts about the words I've read and um, yeah. And in two weeks, you'll hear them. It would have been nuts if they ended up being on the same episode because it's literally like she starts off, wait, this could be a hero's journey and then references the different beats throughout the book. So so all this to say, for me, this is a five-star book. For everybody, maybe it's more like three or four, but for me, five stars and I'll show myself in what <laughs> nice sweet uh andrew do you have any facts you could show us 
out of into? Show us into those facts. <laughs> Why, yes. Thank you for that elegant transition. Mm, you're welcome. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I do. They're, the facts on Jesse Klein are maybe unsurprising, a little lighter than Carson McCullers. There wasn't a lot of like biographical information. So what I'm going to do is give you a, a little rundown of her like CV and then a little bit from an interview with Elizabeth Egan in the New York Times. Oh, Toby style. Let's call it doing it Toby style. <laughs> All right. So Jesse Klein was born in New York City. Heard of it. On August 19th, 1975, she attended Stuyvesant High School and then Vassar College, like all cool people do. Heard of it. I did not attend Stuyvesant <laughs> High School, but I attended Vassar College. Um, <laughs> she has primarily worked in television development in addition to being a stand-up comedian and actor. She worked on shows. Here you go. You can finally know the show she worked on, everybody. I know you've been <gasps> waiting with bated breath. She worked on shows such as Chappelle's Show, in which she appeared during the Wayne Brady episode, um, and <clears throat> Stella with Michael Ian Black and Showalter and Wayne. And uh, she appeared as herself in the like Talking Head show Best Week Ever. She was also a commentator for CNN for the 2004 presidential election and a writer on SNL for a season, in addition to many other credits. Her possibly biggest credit came in 2013 when she was the head writer and executive producer of Inside Amy Schumer. There's a very funny picture of a very pregnant client making the stankiest of stank faces at Amy Schumer, which I enjoyed finding. Hmm. Um, speaking of pregnant, Jesse Klein married Michael Engelman and had a son shortly after. They married in 2014, and I believe her son was born in 2015? Since 2017, she's been a consulting producer on Big Mouth and voices Jesse, one of the show's primary characters. She published her first book, You'll Grow Out of It, in 2016, and in 2022, followed up with I'll Show Myself Out, which is the book Bailey read. Ba-doom, boom. Good fact. <laughs> it's true. Everyone needs to know. The rest of this, aside from a little button at the end, is from the New York Times interview with Elizabeth Egan. All of what I'm about to read is by Egan, except for when I say quote, and then that's Klein. So, Jesse Klein didn't plan to write about parenthood. In fact, she avoided the subject for as long as possible. Quote, I wonder why I felt such an inner resistance to accepting that anything I do as a mother might actually be a page in a book. And really, it doesn't take long to connect that feeling to the fact that in popular culture, at least in America for the past forever years, what mothers do is seen as so unremarkable, it's not just an unimportant story, but not even a story at all. This is back to Elizabeth Egan. Perhaps the success of I'll Show Myself Out is a reminder that, as Klein put it in a phone interview, all those little moments I have with my son playing on a rug and watching him push cars around, this is still something. We should still feel this is a story to tell. Yeah, that's how she talks about how this could be the hero's journey. And if, exactly. if you don't think so, then you don't support women. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back to Egan for a second. Uh, now, with a few more years of experience on this particular job, her son is now almost seven, Klein bristles at the idea that accounts of motherhood don't matter or that they are, quote, not interesting to a wide assortment of people. She says, I don't know how often men telling any story about their lives creates that kind of inertia. If this is a book for whatever reason only mothers read, then that's enough. I will embrace that. It's still a huge number of people. I just want to say that I think it's interesting that when I was giving my review, I was like, I like it. Mothers will like it, but maybe not everybody. You know what? Everybody should read this book yeah. and everybody should like it. Why are you looking at me? Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, one last thing. She has recently uh, developed the show I Love That For You on Showtime uh, and hopefully has gained some more inspiration for future memoirs. You know, I read Jesse's book. Before I wrap it up, how do you think that I can make Jesse Klein my friend? Like, should I go around Los Angeles attempting to find her and befriend her? Get a large print edition of the book and just walk everywhere with your face in it. Show Mackie a picture of her son, like a hunting dog, <laughs> and have her sniff him out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you can find like a bandana that her son has recently used for Maggie to sniff. <laughs> anyway, I'll show myself out by Jesse Klein. Five stars. Andrew, do you have any games, any fun times, any fun diversions? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't yeah. know if I have a game here, guys, but I have a, I got a conundrum. Ooh. If you want to pretend that it's a game, we can call it something. We can call it, it's got to be a musical. Um, <laughs> McCavity? McCavity. Basically, here's the situation, guys. Uh, I was inspired a little bit by uh, the fact that Big Mouth often has musical numbers in it, and then a lot of McCullers' work has been adapted into uh, stage shows and whatnot. So here's the scenario. We are, as we all know, part of a, an organization that produces Broadway shows, and we haven't <laughs> had a hit in a while. Mm. And I know, guys, I've, I've greenlit some bad projects. 
It's like, your fault. I know. It's, I'm the head of this organization, <laughs> and I own that. So you're the best minds in the biz. Uh, and I need uh, from each of you, and this includes Dylan. He's one of the best minds in the biz, biz at this. Aww. We need three of the best projects uh, <laughs> to get into development ASAP. I have so much money to throw at this <laughs> and complete wow. trust in you. Wait, Andrew, I thought this was a game, not your real life. <laughs> Here's what. It's got to be a musical, and here are the rules. I'm going to give you like a sort of type of story, and I need your pitch about it. I'm, we're going to do three of them, and you guys can each pitch, and I'll pick the best option to finance fully with my money I got falling downstairs and from Selena and Barnes, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so your pitch needs these four things. A title. A short, like, sentence plot summary or, like, the stars you're going to put in it. Because sometimes you can just say, Jerry Orbach, that's the pitch. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Name of, like, the show-stopping song in it and, like, the slogan. Like, Fancy Takes Flight Mm -hmm. or whatever. Got it. you got to have that slogan. So I've identified some sort of trends in musical theater and we're going to go through them now. All right, so... We're looking for the next historical hit. You know, Hamilton, everyone talks about six. That's a big hit on Broadway now. They're bringing a new 1776 coming in. What do we got? What historical event are we going to make into the greatest musical that Broadway's lights have ever lit up? I want to go first because it's important that I'm first. Okay. My musical is called Panama. It's called <laughs> Panama! Exclamation <laughs> point. You like, don't think you'll be in trouble with Van Halen? <laughs> I don't know about who Van Halen is. Or, no, I do know, but okay. And this is a riotous romp that takes place during the oh. um, building of the Panama Canal. And it gotcha. stars Hugh Jackman as Teddy Roosevelt. The show-stopping song is called, Can You Dig It? Because they're digging the Panama Canal. And the slogan is, The fastest way from here to there is Panama. Thank you. Nice. Ah, man, you're leaving a man a plan a canal. <laughs> <laughs> My musical is about the California gold rush. Its title is The 49ers. And that'll make Uh-oh. sense because in his Broadway debut, Steve Young is going to come out and he's going to show <laughs> us all the chops that he has. So the name of the show-stopping song is um, There's Gold in Them There Hills. And it's like very much like lots of Steve Young, like looking out, shading his eyes, you know, but it also looks like maybe he's about to throw a pass. Um, and then the <laughs> slogan is going to be catch gold fever. Oh, okay, this is good. I'm feeling my bank account rise already. Yeah, because this is <laughs> oh. getting, we're going to get butts and seats with one of these shows. You guys aren't doing the Hamilton route, though, because the key is you have to get an already existing like IP property, like a dad book, mm-hmm. and then turn it into a musical. So you get the dads and also young kids into it. Uh, and that's why I purchased the rights <laughs> to Stephen Ambrose's Band of Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Of course you did. So it'll still be called Band of Brothers with an exclamation point. Okay. Okay, good. I think everything has has an exclamation point at this point. That's good. <laughs> and basically, we'll just recast everyone from Spring Awakening. They probably will have to use the newest tour, so we'll get a bunch of hot 18-year-olds to be uh, the entire Easy Company. I mean, we'll need someone slightly older, so I'm thinking maybe Jonathan Groff for um, Dean Winters. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, are there any women in this show? No. <laughs> <laughs> Bailey, you've just discovered the tagline. Is, are there any women in this show? No. <laughs> oh, uh, the song will be after their huge training montage, which will be kind of like the Mulan, I'll make a man out of you, but I'll call it Kura He, Kura Me. I don't know what that means. Yeah, well, you need to read the book. It's a training camp. Also the tagline, well, you need to read the book. (laughs) (laughs) And the tagline will be, um, I wasn't a superstar during World War II, but I served with a company of them. Um, All right, Andrew. Mm. All right. So that slogan was lame, but that's fine. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Oh, okay. I'm just, I think... These are all great proposals, and I would love to see them all. I think the one that has thought about the most being like financially viable here, because you know this is a business, everybody, uh, is 49ers. <laughs> what? Because yes. people are going to come yes. to see Steve Young, even if it's bad. People will pay to see yep. how bad it people is. People love and, oh, Hugh Jackman. I'd pay to see Steve Young in a musical. <laughs> I just think Toby has created the best proposal here yeah. for something that yes. will get us out of the red and into the black. All right, Toby. Good <laughs> job. I have so many houses that I've mortgaged. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. Let's do this next one quick. So there's all these shows that are like titled after cities, like New York, New York, Chicago, Memphis. What city needs its own musical or town? Mm. 
So this is uh, the musical, and I'm going to already say, nobody else can do this, Burbank, with an exclamation mark. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, it all takes place in the Burbank airport. It's like the, and it's like a kind of slice of life musical where like people are, we're following airline hosts, we're following pilots, we're following like a troubled traveler. The headlining song is going to be an adaptation of the classic Come Fly With Me. So it's going to be like a reimagining of that, but like all Broadwayed up. And then the slogan is going to be the best little airport in all the world. That's cute. Isn't that the slogan of Come From Away? No. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> That's not the slogan come from away. <laughs> That's great, Toby. I think like you're thinking, this is a different kind of thing. It's this isn't all glitz and glam. This is like, you know, you're more we can really get into some emotional beats here. Um uh mine would be called uh the other Portland. I literally had this thought. Because <laughs> it takes place in Portland, Maine. Portland, Maine. <laughs> all right. And it's about uh, a new young hotshot forty-year-old, okay, who um, is moving into town and is going to try to bring in a video cassette store. Okay, it's the uh, new crazy technology that's sweeping the country, and starring Hugh Jackman. <laughs> okay, oh, boo. Uh, it was going to be called Blockbuster Lobster. Okay, sung to the tune okay. of Rock Lobster. Dylan, your tagline can be not Bailey's idea. Yeah, my tagline is not Bailey's idea. Okay, here's mine. My city is Quebec. Um, it's set in, you know, the lovely old town of Quebec um, in Canada. And it follows the French versus the English speakers in Canada. It's kind of like a West Side story, but it's like a Quebec side story. Um, Whoa. The, <laughs> nice little rhyme there. Okay. The um, the big song is called Down at the Frontenac, which is the name of the very fantasy um, hotel there. And that's kind of like <laughs> the, this is where we're going to have sing battle between the um, French and the English. And the tagline is Je me souviens, which is actually what it says on Quebec license plate, which means I remember. I remember when we had to speak French. So, sacré bleu. I bet when you tour and you go to Quebec, it's going to be a big hit. Oh, yeah. Everywhere else? I don't know. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so I got to say, uh, so I'm giving this one to Bailey uh, because I think it has a niche audience, but if we pull it off, people love niche things if you can be like, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I got that one. All right. I think we got it. All right. So last one here, all on the line. It can either be a total tie or we can have a winner. And everybody loves these musicals about, you know sort of like making the band situations like beautiful about Carol King, Jersey boys are on your feet about Gloria Stefan, which like musical biopic does the world need? Mm -hmm. My musical is called base of ace, the ace of bass story. Um, oh, that's so good. Yep. No. Um, and it's the story of a band from Sweden, I think Sweden of young, hot Swedish people in the nineties that saw the sign of a great musical hit Band. I saw the sign is definitely like the the opening I want song, just to be clear, because like they see the sign. Um, and the tagline is, you know, you like it. <laughs> nice. 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 That's a very OK. This is good because people are literally coming to my house to take all my animal statues. If we do not get money to fund my reckless spending <laughs> habits. <laughs> all right. That's good. But it's not as good as where the time went. And it's the Fall Out Boy musical. Oh. You know it. Yeah, emo emo pop is in a resurgence. People are all over this stuff that I was listening to in high school. So the big hit, the big number is going to be Sugar. We're going down swinging, but they're going to put it in like a swing dancing style. And then the stars will be your boys from Fall Out Boy uh, with Pete Wentz taking like a lead role because he's obviously the most likable one. Wow. Harsh on Patrick Stump there, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually think I like Patrick Stump a lot more. That's why. Okay. Um, and the slogan's going to be dance, dance. Oof. Oh, this is great. <laughs> All right. These are both great options. We got one more. So, of course, this is going to be unofficial and we might get some lawsuits really quickly from him. Uh-huh. Um, Controversy ooh, can the best sell. Musicals. It's okay. <laughs> but my musical would be called Taking It Yay by Yay. Ah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and it would be the Kanye West musical. Mm-hmm. Yay by Yay, these mm -hmm. things I pray. Yep. <laughs> but we'll ha probably have to get a name. So we'll like have Leslie Odom Jr. as Kanye West. He's the only one in Hamilton who doesn't mm. rap, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> okay and what's what's like the big the big kanye song that they have the uh big song would be uh flashing lights which would be like the flashing spotlights part cool and the tagline would be my beautiful dark twisted musical 
Ooh. Ooh, that's good. Oh, man. Mm. Oh, man. All right, Andrew. Great. I'd hate to be in your shoes, except that you're really rich in this scenario, so maybe I do want to be in your shoes. I'm rich, but I'll crumble at any moment. (laughs) I want that to be clear. Um, All right, so I'm going to have to go. Oh... Toby's right. Pop Punk is having such a resurgence yes. right now. We got to crest that wave and it got to go yeah. west. Oh, man. Who's got their finger on the pulse of the kids? Ooh, I don't like how that turned out. <laughs> nope, that sounded weird. Um, Bailey, I want to be clear that you're not, a, you didn't lose this. Mm-hmm. You also won. <laughs> you just won slightly less than Toby here. Okay. And same for you, Dylan. So thank you guys so much. We're going to pour so much money into this and hopefully, well, I'll make it out. Whew. Thank you for playing, y'all. Yeah, that was a great game. Good job. Especially because I won it. Good job, producers. We did it. All right. Well, excellent game. Now's the time for Dylan to be the star of the show. Little ingenue Dylan is going to take the stage to choose books at random from our shelves to read next. It's time for The Choosening the Musical. The Choosing Musical. (laughs) The Choosing. The Choosing. The Choosical. Wait, y'all, have you realized what's going to happen with Toby's book? What do you mean? Toby's book is going to be the first book that will be on our 100th episode. Because <gasps> it's episode 98. Ooh. And so, in Bailey's, we still have to wait till next time to find out what it is. But this is going to be in the 100th. I'm excited. Ooh. Well, I'm glad that Toby finally got into Southern Gothic and that he's a little bit smarter for it. He's a little bit wiser now. Mm. You'd say that mm-hmm. it runs in his blood? Oh. Because, Toby, you have number 39, Wise Blood by Flannery O'Connor. Ooh. Ooh. That's an interesting pick, Dylan. I'm really glad that you went to the work of looking that up for me because I'm going to use one of my gimmies <gasps> and throw that book out into the trash. And I'm going to declare that instead I'm reading Fairy Tale by Stephen King, the new Stephen King book. It's all a buzz. It looks like it's right down my alley. It's fantasy. It's Stephen King. So eat it, Dylan. I'm going to use one of my gimmies. These are the gimmies that we forgot that we we had until last episode. <laughs> yes, I would not have known if I that I had them, except for Andrew said it. And I should have used mine, but I've committed to the bit. <laughs> <laughs> I might try to read it too with you, Toby. Spooky season. Well, Bailey, with your book, you got, you know, we all got a little taste of motherhood and everything. Mm-hmm. And now it's time for the exact opposite. Ooh. You have number 107, A Taste for Death by P.D. James. Oh, this is a book that Toby gave me. I was just going to say, I've read this book and I think I gave it to Bailey. All right. I think it was one of those that you read it and you didn't want to take it with you on one of your weird journeys somewhere. Um, and so gave it to me. Yeah, I don't know if I love the characterization of weird journeys, but <laughs> they're called vacations. Uh, yes, I'm excited for it. Toby, would you say that it's a creepy book? Um, I would say it's grim. I don't think it's creepy. It's a pretty straightforward like detective murder mystery. Okay, cool. Well, I'm excited. All right. So that means next week on the podcast for episode 99, we have The Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, read by Andrew. (laughs) He loves it. Yeah. He's going on that hero's (laughs) journey. And I will be reading A Taste for Death by P.D. James. Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads, Instagram, and the Storygraph at the To Read List podcast. If you are a tomboyish girl in the 1940s and you're looking for something to do time travel many years into the future and then and then then radar podcast five stars um preferably on itunes um because it really helps the visibility of our podcast and it makes us feel good and if you really want to make us feel good um write us a review because we love to read them and uh you love to write them you just haven't done it yet. Time travel just to write a review on mm-hmm. Apple Podcasts. Then, then you have to go back or the whole universe is in danger. That's very important. <laughs> <laughs> um, and another great way of helping us find new listeners is by telling a friend. So if you, for example, are a mother who has, you know, I don't know, like 200 kids, tell all 200 of those kids <laughs> to download and listen to our podcast. Numbers wise, some percentage of them are going to like it. And that is yeah. worth it. So thank you very much. Yes. But seriously, uh, word of mouth is our best way. So tell a friend. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, 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 books. books, books. books.